Well, I will probably say for me, for my hike, Pennsylvania was the hardest part. It almost broke me. Um, So for about 84 miles through Pennsylvania, that stretch from just south of Delaware Water Gap to Duncannon, maybe? Yep. Basically for 84 miles, the Appalachian Trail never touches actual dirt. So you're either on big boulders or bedrock or what I call these fucking pyramid ankle breakers. The rocks were <laughs> only about three inches tall and they were in perfect pyramids. So you would, it would be like a sea of that. And you'd look and you'd go, all right, do I roll and break my ankle and step in between the pyramids? Or do I step directly on each one and just bash, bash my foot? <laughs> and so your foot just relentlessly, you know, it's just when you step on a pointy rock, you feel it in no matter what boot you're in. Yeah. 84 miles of that. It's about four days. And I get up in the morning. I can't do this again. Um, I would lay in my tent at night and you could feel your feet pulsing, like the blood pumping in them because they're just so beaten up. I also... Inside the line, the Catskills. We are live. Welcome to Inside the Line, the Catskills, episode 14. I am with Mo Lemire from Hike on Guides, a friend of mine, uh, a guy I love hiking with. Best positive attitude I've ever hiked with and been with. It. I love it. I, I seem to have a thing for guides. I don't know. It's just you guys are so you guys are so amazing for some reason. <laughs> your wife might get jealous <laughs> oh yeah i mean she's gonna she's gonna start getting jealous but i gotta ask you a question later on so we'll do that afterwards okay um so uh we'll we'll talk with mo in a couple minutes um i'd like to thank uh, our sponsor scenic route guiding if you're ready to hit the trails make sure you hit the scenic route our guides are here to help you with your goals big or small check out the scenic route guiding and gear rentals on instagram and facebook for more information also, if you mention the podcast, you can get 10% off. Use the great word code mountain lion. They exist. All right. Also, thank you for our monthly subscribers to Trina Weinig, Darren White, and John Kamiski. Thank you guys very much. Thank you, Andrew Hosh, for uh, donating two coffees. I really appreciate that. Very, very soon, we are going to be, uh, I'm going to be at the threshold of where it's going to basically be paid off for everything. And all that money that you guys donate from buy coffees, it's going to go towards a 501c3 group in the Catskills. So I got to figure out what to do. Hopefully Mo has some suggestions. Uh, Friends of the Feathered and Fury, maybe uh, other groups, any other groups, Mo? Uh, nonprofits in the Catskills? Yeah. Well, let's see. There's the Catskills Center, uh, Woodstock Land Conservancy, there's a lot of environmental groups that are in the, there's the community center in Pine Hill. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. We all know that one. It's surprising how many nonprofits there are in such a small community, but there are quite a, quite a bit. Excellent. So we have a bunch of options. So once again, soon we'll be hitting the threshold and then we'll be donating to uh, any of your coffees that you guys donate. We'll be going towards 501 C3s and the Catskills for the Catskills. That's the way it should be. I'd like to uh, thank Ari for noticing an error on Instagram. I had one of my links that was wrong. 
So thank you very much for noticing that. Appreciate it. Um, so this episode, uh, we'll be talking about through hiking with Mo from Hike On Guides. Mo is a, a top-notch through hiker. He knows it all, and I love it. And he has amazing stories. He has positive stories. He is a positive man on the trails. I seriously, I, I don't know. I, I've hiked a couple times with Mo, and uh, I will never forget the the time we hiked to Wyndham High Peak. That was fun. Oh, that was a lot of fun. And actually, we had snow on the ground for once. We did. We're having such a snow drought. I mean, it's still early, but we're we're pretty we're behind. We're behind on snow. Definitely. Uh, we got. I think we got like a half an inch here today at Oriana. So. Well, better than nothing. <laughs> it is. It looks beautiful out. It looks beautiful out. So, uh, Mo, you, you having anything to drink right now, brother? I am. I have a Angry Orchard strawberry cider. Ooh. So, I you know I will drink beer, but I'm, I'm not a huge beer fan. So anywhere I go, I will um, find try to find a local cider. Um, this is you know Angry Orchard, just run of the mill, but strawberry intrigued me, so it's not bad. Yeah, same here. I am uh, I am not a huge beer guy, but I love the ciders. The ciders mm-hmm. are great and Angry Orchard is pretty good, I got to admit. There's a they make a cider in the Catskills that they sell at um West Kill Brewery on occasion called um Abandoned Orchard Ooh. or Abandoned Orchards and they harvest basically the apple orchards on people's properties that aren't really being maintained anymore. They they must like have some negotiation or something but they'll harvest um apples out Ooh. of these orchards and they make the cider out of that which is kind of cool every can tastes slightly different excellent i'll have to check out that i didn't know they had uh they had ciders there I, they don't always have it in stock but they started selling abandoned orchards uh last february is when i first um learned that they started they had cider at the brewery excellent I, I always love that. They, they got one of the best views in the Catskills. I, oh, I love yeah. that place. It's a, great, it's a great spot. It's really cool to have a business like that at the end of a five mile dead end road. <laughs> exactly. So um, if, if anybody's listening and you, and you know, you're new to the Catskills, take a, a little trip down the Spruceton Valley, mm-hmm. hit the West Kill Brewery. If you're not going to hike, just hit the West Kill Brewery, support a local business. Awesome yep. stuff. Uh, they usually have a food truck there, which is excellent after a hike. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love that stuff. So um, usually I don't know why I don't have it on my agenda. So I don't need, I don't know if I want to ask you this because this might take two hours for you to do uh, previous hikes, Mo. Previous hikes? Yeah. Any in the last couple of days. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, what's today? Tuesday? Yep. So a week ago, Wednesday, Thursday, I did the six back to back. So I had a client, I did uh, Friday to table peak moose. And then the next day, my next client wanted to do the same thing. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and then I scouted for a potential new route up North Dome, which I mentioned to you from the staying on state land. That was on um, Friday. And Sunday I was on Panther. Oh, my God. They all kind of blend together. I'm actually close to actually completing a single season without trying. I, you know, I always look near the end to see where I've been all month or two months. So interesting without even trying. (laughs) So I might, I've never completed a single season. Like I said, if when it happens, it'll happen. And this may be, this may be it. I think I need four. Oh, wow. Yeah. Four random. 
Do you do you know what they are? Uh, Balsam Lake Mountain, Thomas Cole, um, Hunter Southwest, and then wait a minute, and then Slide Wittenberg and Cornell. So that's what six. Uh, yeah. Yep. So it's wow. doable. It's doable. Yeah, definitely. But, oh my god. So if it, I mean, it's I'm I've been close before, and people are like, "You're not going to finish," and I'm like, "I don't want it to be not fun." Because I went up Rusk and about three quarters of the way up, I'm like, I hate this. Why, why am I doing this? To, like, what you know, I don't want hiking to become this. And so I was like, I was tired. And I said, I don't think I'm going to finish. And people were like, what do you mean you're not going to finish? And I'm like, it's possible, but I don't want it to be like a death march to get to the end. That is a great way to say it. You know, a, a yeah. lot of people ask me, you know, I haven't even, to be honest, I haven't even finished my winters yet. But you know what? No rush. Yeah, exactly. I have done plenty of winter hikes, but I just haven't done a list. And I'm just yep. like, after the 3,500, I was like, who cares about lists? I just, I just hike to have fun. Yeah. It's yeah. nice to have motivation, but you can easily, I think, get to a point where you lose the point of what it's all about or what it should be all about. And, and I know some people like to push the limits. So if that's what you're looking for, that's totally right on. But for me, I was like, it's, I don't know. Like I hate this right now and I don't want to hate hiking. So exactly. But I, I tallied it up because I knew what three weeks left, two weeks left. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm close. And it was, you know, it was sort of like enjoyable the whole time. That's great. If, it, if I have the opportunity to, to finish it up, I'll try, but I'm not going to like, you know, go out at four o'clock in the afternoon and run up a mountain just to check it off. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see it's possible and especially around christmas usually i'll do like you know if i have free time i'll um that week i'll probably try to before the 21st i think i have a couple of days off and you'll hike with your christmas beard and uh jingle bells on it yes beard <laughs> the must it's beautiful um so i don't have any catskills news uh i haven't done any previous hikes i went around local here uh been working a lot uh yep. holidays have been been busy so uh hopefully uh this sunday i'm gonna take my my wife up Wyndham high peak and she's gonna try nice. out her micro spikes for the first time nice yeah the summits have under three inches at this point and then after this saturday we're supposed to have a lot of rain on saturdays actually record high temperatures up here so it may be all gone oh my god we're probably behind about nine inches for the season which is, you know, it could be made up of one storm, but October we had no measurable snow, which is kind of unusual. We usually get at least a dusting or a trace yep. for high. And then November, we only had about two inches here in wow. Tanner. Yeah. And That's then we sick. could get like 48 inches next week. So you never know. <laughs> you never know when that nor'easter comes along. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the only Catskill news I do have is uh, I'm going to say this very very loud carry your spikes um, yes spikes yes. are everywhere i've seen pictures everywhere lower elevations might not need them but once you get up to those high elevations the water's running and freezing mm -hmm. so carry your spikes extra what one and a half two pounds yeah usually the last week of october they go on my pack and they stay there until the first of may and then i reevaluate what we got but Panther was, um, there was a section where there was a ton of ice and I hear this a lot and I see this a lot. People will say, 
Well, there was plenty enough room to go around, but by doing that, you widen the trails. Even though it's below freezing, it's winter. It doesn't take many footsteps to really mush that ground down. And then plants don't germinate because it's just the soil's too compacted. You see, this is why this guy is a guide. This is <laughs> education teaching. I love it. That well, is... the way I look at it is you want a trail to only be about two people wide. You don't want to, because once it gets wider than that, you lose the feeling of what, what the, you know, the woods feel like. It, it's just a different experience when you have like this eight foot, 10 foot wide scar on the side of the hill. Exactly. And I think the same way. It feels like more of a sidewalk than a, a hiking trail. Mm-hmm. And especially when you get up top, like, you know, Thomas Cole and, and Black Dome, how skinny the trail is up there and you're going through the moss. That's cool. That's beautiful. And you don't want to, and moss is so fragile to walk around ice like that. You're trampling it. Exactly. So once again, that's uh, one on another, another great point of, of Mo that he is well-educated in this, these areas of fragile vegetation. And I agree with him so much. I have, I have posted stuff on Facebook. I've posted stuff on Instagram about this. I've put stuff in the Catskill 3500 club canister about widening of trails, walk through the damn mud walk through the ice, get your spikes, leave mm-hmm. the trail to that. Like Mo said, maybe four little feet of length, you know, not even so two people can walk with it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's magical. Once you get up to the top of the areas and it's a one person lane, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's magical. There's nothing else. So, but yeah, thank you, Mo. Once again, another amazing educational thought that that i like to bring to this this is why i do this education i love it so um let's uh let's uh do a little catskills history i'm gonna do catskills history tonight is one of most favorite places he does it all the freaking time uh devil's path mo is seriously does this what two three times a year yep 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 do yep. it in devil in a day. Call it devil in a day. Devil in a day. That is a um, uh, a charity, right? Um, well, let's see. This past spring, I did um, hike for the Catskills, which included most of the Devil's Path. And then usually once or twice a year, I offer a trip for people that want to attempt to do the Devil's Path in a day. But it's a big undertaking. And if you're halfway through and you're exhausted, it's like, all right, we have a car on either end. What do we do? There's no cell service. Do we try to hitchhike? And I take, I do all that logistical stuff for people. So they don't have to worry about it. They can always get back to their car if need be. Um, but it's, it's sort of like a, a mini ultra. Damn straight. Yeah. The devil's path is, is no thing to be undertaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, uh, let's get on with it. Some, uh, so the devil's path, early European settlers found the terrain so forbidding and in a hospital that they surmised that it had been cut by the devil as a place to retreat and into which no man would dare to follow. The devil's path is a definitely seriously hiking challenge. It's tough. It's technical. In summer, there's barely any water and the coldest months section require full winter mountaineering gear, not just mm-hmm. micro spikes, but sometimes crampons. Definitely. And rope. And rope, definitely the west side of twin. Uh, Mo knows this. Definitely, I know this. It is not to be um, to be judged as an easy hike. 
Located in the Greene County of the section of the Catskills, Devil's Path is sometimes described as one of the more challenging trails in the New York Tri-State area. Actually, it has been one of the trails that are named most difficult in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It goes across the Indian Head Mountain Range and then three other peaks to the west, which is the Hunter or the West Kill Mountain Range, um, offering hikers and peak baggers a chance to reach the summits of five of the 3,500 Catskill High Peaks. And two more are reachable by detours. Um, it draws hikers from all over the region and all over the world due to the challenging climbs and straight up and down the steep gaps between the four peaks of range, which often requires hikers to use four points of contact, especially on Indian head. And once again, twin to pull themselves up straight cliffs and through rocky shoots. Awesome experiences. These climbs, however, leads to amazing views across the Casco range. I don't think except for Southwest Hunter, which you don't have to do on the devil's path, every peak offers an amazing view of the Catskills, mm-hmm. north, south, east, west. It's absolutely stunning. While some of the peaks east of the Stony Cove Notch has been climbed for quite some time due to logging, according to the Catskills Forest historian Michael Kudish, the modern Devil's Path was cut from the overall road to Mink Hollow, which is between Sugarloaf and Plateau, in 1929. Shortly after the state acquired a property, Plateau followed in 1934 after the purchase was made, and the following year, the route up Hunter from Stony Close Notch was opened. However, several several decades yeah, however, several decades afterwards, there was no new construction. In 1973, the state finally opened the route down the Diamond Notch Falls, a beautiful area, absolutely stunning area. And the final section over West Kill came shortly after. Despite an original idea to keep the trail on over to North Home and Mount Cheryl, which would be absolutely insane, through hikers would hate that. Um, as they already hate St. Anne's Peak, correct? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eventually, it's like it's like when I do The Devil in a Day, I'm like, do I tell everybody about St. Anne's Peak <laughs> at the beginning of the day just to remember? Because it's a meeting when you get there and you don't know it's there because you think after Westkill, it's all downhill because nobody talks about St. Anne's. <laughs> yep. I've heard people call it What the Fuck Peak. Yeah, it is called. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just rename it WTF Peak. <laughs> <laughs> Damn straight. Um, let's see. Um, I'm sorry. Um, there have been some proposals with the DIC and building a modified extension, but it does not appear likely to happen at this point. Now, it depends on all probably the herd paths and what the DEC can do and cannot do. It's really, it's really tough to build a new trail in, in, in areas. It requires a lot of permits, a lot of different mm-hmm. thought. Um, so most likely not this point, but I've heard in the past that the devil's path should extend from overlook all the way over to Mount Unseanta. I'm pretty sure that's what people said. That is the true devil's path, but of course it goes over private property. So think about that. Um, total length of the devil's path is approximately 24.2 miles. Mo, can you confirm that? I have recorded five times 24.7 is what i have recorded again and again and but there there's yeah for 24.2 24. 24.6 um 24.4 so but i've gotten 24.7 on numerous occasions now it's somewhere it's under 28 miles i, I mean 28 miles it's under 25 miles I would I would take Mo's word and say twenty four point seven. So if you do twenty four point five, you feel like you have accomplished even more. <laughs> You're like, yes, I got it. Unless um, total elevation gain over nine thousand feet, correct? What have you yep. recorded? Uh, 
uh, around 8,800, but yeah, wow. 9,000 9, up, up, up. Yep. Lots of up. <laughs> I seriously don't know how you guys can do that. It's you can train your body to do stuff like that. You just have to, it's like, you know, um, you know, weightlifters, people that can, you know, bench press or lift ridiculous amount of weights over their head and you train your body and it can do it. And sort of what happens when you're through hiking, you train your body to do 20 to 29 miles a day on repeat. God damn. That's insane. <laughs> that's all I got to say. Um, so excellent. Castle's history of the great devil's path. One of the most favorites hikes always does it <laughs> always completes it. So let's get on to the content of the night. Mo Lemire and Hike On Guides, um, his guiding service, which is awesome. So, Mo, tell us your background, sir. Well, I um, went to school in northeastern Vermont um, in the little town of Lindenville, which is basically in the Green Mountains. And um, my grandmother had a place in the Whites. And that's when I first really connected with the mountains. And uh, in uh, freshman year in high school, I went on this uh, hiking hiking club week trip and we stayed in um it's in pinkham notch it's a some dolly cop campground and uh the big hike of the week was doing lafayette mountain which is in franconia oh, yeah. notch and that that was my first time above treeline and i think i was i think 16 15 and i was hooked like it's just a magical to go above treeline it's like it's, i don't even know how to describe it if you've oh, never yeah. experienced it it's just really what an experience at 16 years old. And then when I, um, I've always been, I have always had a passion for the weather. And that was what my original major was um, at Linden was meteorology. And I ended up changing my major to um, natural science with a concentration in environmental science. And I have a minor in meteorology, but um, going to school in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, I mean, mountains all around you. Franconia Notch was 40 minutes away. So hiked like crazy. Um, and then I moved to Eastern Massachusetts and kind of was out of the hiking. I would do it on vacations and stuff, but Eastern Mass does not have much of anything. Yeah. <laughs> and the transition of, you know, working towards moving to the Catskills and selling the house in Massachusetts, it just dawned in my head. I was like, maybe I should try to do a through hike. Like that's, like, when do you make a transition like that in your late 30s? And so that uh, thought got planted in my head. And I asked my other half and he was like, do it. And so in 2016, I set out to Georgia to hike the Maine. We'll definitely get into <laughs> that later. So that's that's awesome. So what what got you into the hiking and the, and the Catskills? Um, so when I finished... When I finished the AT, I moved to the Catskills full time. Um, I had family here for 22 years. I had been coming here for a long time. And, you know, on those visits, did a few hikes, did a few of the high peaks. But after finishing the AT, I was like, well, you know, I, I went on this 2000 mile journey and learned some skills and I really enjoy people. And so coming back to the Catskills, I started hiking all the time, trying to find a place to work. And part of my brain, I was like, well, maybe I should look into, you know, getting my license to do this for work. And um, living here in Tannersville, it was like, you know, the mountains are all around and it's like, I need to, I need to see it all. So I understand it. And I still have not completed it all yet. There's still so much to see. 
So basically, once once again, you've integrated to the next question: hike on guides. Let's uh, let's talk about hike on guides. Like I, I love following your stuff on Facebook. I love following your stuff on Instagram. You are an inspiration for people. You are like I, I actually talked with with uh, Jessica about you today because she wants to do a, a, a pretty great finish for her hikes, and she wants to. I think she mm-hmm. wants to do the six and then finish on Picamoose. And I was just like, we need to have uh, Mo there because Mo is is an absolute phenomenal person, and he is just happy all the time. He will push you through different things with happiness. So that's what I see hike on guides mm-hmm. at, and then is that I'm guessing that's your specialty is the positive energy. Mm-hmm. My mission of doing being a guide is to connect people to nature, but also to give people the abilities the tools and the confidence to start doing it on their own and exploring more and learning how to bushwhack and looking at something on a map going, all right, that's public land. I want to go there. How do I get there? And, and be able to, you know, understand the how and the why. And it's been cool to see people's growth over the last several years. And so people are always like, they kind of think, well, is that a, isn't that a bad business model to like teach people so they don't need you anymore? And I'm like, but that's my mission. You know, the more people that connect to nature, the more people that will help protect it. And in essence, help protect the castle park. You see, God, this, this guy's positive energy. I swear he has so much, too much <laughs> karma in him. I don't know what's, I seriously don't. It's, it's amazing. Um, but, you know, for me to be able to give people a little bit of what I learned on the AT over the course of six months. And, you know, even though they're not, you know, people that work on the 35, you know, to hike all the high peaks here, it's a journey. It's definitely a journey and you may not do it like consecutively or like every week, but the process of going through and hiking 35 mountains, 33 mountains, depending on what list you're looking at, whether you're doing a grid or a single season, just hiking in general, the more every step you take out in nature, you change over time. Um, and to see some of these people that their first couple of hikes, they were like, where do I step? Where do I go? And now they're, you know, grabbing onto trees and jumping down, you know, a little rock ledge or something like that is cool. That is amazing. See, just inspirational, educational. Once again, that is the reason why I'm doing this podcast. It's education. And Mo provides probably 360 degree education of the cat skills and of nature, which is amazing. Um, so I also know that you are a leave no trace like advocate, right? Do you are you're you're a trainer, right? So I'm a leave no trace master educator. I took the week-long course where you live in the woods for five days, four nights, and you eat, breathe, and sleep, leave no trace every aspect of it. And like, you really dive into the seven principles by doing that. But I'm also the volunteer New York state rep for Leave No Trace. So, you know, there's 50 states. Leave No Trace is a nonprofit. It's a very small nonprofit based in Colorado, in um, Boulder. And so they try to have one volunteer state rep for every state in the country. And then anybody that writes um, or sends an email to the Leave No Trace website general questionnaire based on what state they in, they get filtered to us to try to, you know, delegate out or help or whatever people are looking for um, that want to volunteer with Leave No Trace. So I'm sort of like the, I'm like the switchboard operator. I did not know that. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's, I'm a very humble person, so I don't like to, I don't tell, list all the things I am. I, when it comes up or when I meet people or clients or whoever, I, I, I kind of will talk about it. But, you know, being on the Appalachian Trail and taking that master educator course and being a guide, seeing these mountains on repeat, sometimes three times in a week, I do see herd paths growing and getting more defined as, you know, vegetation gets trampled it's kind of crazy to see it because i'm so you're there again and again and again to to spread the word about what leave no trace is and how people can incorporate it into everyday life it really can make big impacts it definitely can because most of the trace it's your own personal ethics but it's also it's also uh, exponential growth you know like say a rock cairn all right, if one person makes a little rock or see rock here and on top of a little pile of, you know, a smooth rock and the big scheme of things, is it a huge deal? No, but you come back two weeks later and there's 55 rock here all built around it and people running in every direction, looking for rocks to stack, pulling them out of the ground. Just think of all the trampling in that one little area and all of the creatures that are living under the rock, salamanders, ants, whatever it may be. And, you know, somebody leaves a bottled water on the side of the trail, an empty plastic bottle. By the end of the day, people will start gathering garbage by that because it's like, oh, that person did it. So maybe that's where it goes. And it's like exponential growth. It's kind of crazy to like do it as an experiment and see what happens. But, you know, somebody carves a tree. You come back four months later, there's more carvings up and down the whole tree or people sign it with permanent marker and stuff. So nobody really thinks to do it until one person and then they look and they go, oh, well, that was kind of cool. Let me add to it. Yep. And that's and that's yep. why we have people like you to teach Leave No Trace. And, you know, it's it's not hard to learn Leave No Trace. And it's and it's um, a lot of people are just uneducated. And that's that's what we need to do. Education is huge right now. Yeah. Yeah. Education is so key. And I think I think social media can really be used to teach if it's done correctly, it can also be used to like just scream and yell and persecute each other. And that's not helpful. Um, I try to do it as a, a factual based thing and then try not to engage because then that just makes it even worse. But um, it, it can be, um, you know, I like to, when I'm teaching leave no trace, I love to do it in the field, like to point out, look at this, this little blowdown happened easily dragged out of the way, but no one's touched it. And look where everybody went around that tree and look at the path. Now, now there's two and it's crazy how fast it can form Yep. within a couple of days. You can have a little, you know, herd path going around the blowdown. And if it doesn't get cut or moved out of the way, that trampling, you know, you, you understand this when it comes to old logging roads here in the Catskills, some of those were built in what, 1850, 1870. There's still nothing growing in them. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the ground is so impacted and it takes such a long time for stuff to grow in an impacted soil. That's what happens when our feet walk in the same place again and again and again. Exactly. What a, what a great uh, perception of, of that. You know, the old low, old log trails, you know, you think of going up maybe um, up Mink Hollow and stuff like that, you know, yep. that is a massive wide trail and it was created by logging trails. There's just so many like good, great point. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, and like some of these old roads, when you come across an old woods road that was used in the 20s or 1900 or 1880, and then they were abandoned. 
look at how pronounced they still are almost 100 years later or 120, 130 years later. Yeah. Amazing. And that goes to the impacts on land when us humans, you know, go in the same place again and again and again. It takes a long time for it to recover. Wow. Awesome. Once again, another great educational purpose right there. So Mo, we're going to get into to, to the through hiking part, uh, the one that I, I've been waiting to to talk about. <laughs> um, so what exactly, just, just name off some stuff that you've through hiked, like some long trails. So the Appalachian Trail, um, the long path here in New York, I walked from New York City through the Catskills to Thatcher State Park, which was epic. It was such a cool trail. Um, I've done about three half or three quarters of the long trail in Vermont. The AT basically co-aligns with it. So I do want to either finish it or go back and do the whole thing all over again. And I've done the co-host trail in New Hampshire, which goes from Crawford State Notch to the Canadian border. So those are the three, I guess, long trails or, you know, long distance trails that I've through hiked. Um, I've done a lot of like pieces of stuff. Like I've hiked small sections of the Pacific Crest Trail, but I mean, really tiny. <laughs> Have you done the uh, North Pole Placid Trail? Oh, and the North Pole Placid Trail. Thank you. I forgot about that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that, that, that's, one of them. that's one of them I remember you posting about. You know, and what's interesting about some our trails in our country, they're all different and they all have different experiences. So the North Pole Placid Trail was very, you were low, you weren't climbing over tall mountains, but you were going by lake after lake after lake. And it was just a super magical falling asleep to loons every night. Oh, it was right. wonderful. Yeah. So let's let's get on to the main content um mo has hiked the appalachian trail i knew the appalachian trail existed all my life i went down to shenandoah national park this previous year and i fell in love with the through hikers on the shenandoah national park oh that's awesome that you got to interact i love it oh man so my wife and i were going up um trying to mary's mary's rock yeah mary's rock and we ran into a bunch of through hikers and Jessica had no backpack, but I did. And they, you know, they were just so grateful. And we were like, oh, you know, we're only doing these two miles and we don't have anything for you. And Jessica instantly, Jessica and I were just like, well, we're only doing these short hikes. Let's go get so much shit for them and let's, let's supply them. Let's be, you know, what they call the trail angels. Yeah. And so like, I seriously, right after that, I contacted Mo probably not even five, 10 minutes after that and asked them, what can I get for through hikers that will make them their lives easier and their lives happier? So Mo is an expert on the Appalachian Trail. Tell us about your Appalachian Trail hike, my friend. So I started the trail in 2016, April 6th was my start date in Georgia. Um, And, you know, I didn't, a lot of people are like, oh, did you plan for years to do this? And I decided to through hike August of 2015, the end of August, August like 23rd to be exact. And then I started off in Georgia, April 6th. So less than six months. <laughs> I, wow. uh, you know, I, we were in two different states. We owed more on the house that we had at the time. And, you know, the housing market was finally recovering to the point where we could sell it. And, and I was like, all right, it's time. But I had gone on an overnight camping trip in the White Mountains, um, Lafayette Place, and did this, the, the biggest hike at that point in my life, a 10-mile loop up uh, Mount Flume over to 
Mount Liberty and then back down to the car. And I actually descended down the AT, the Appalachian Trail, not realizing it at the time. And I saw a couple of, you know, hiker coming with a big pack. And I always talked to everybody and I was like, oh, where'd you start? You know, meaning which parking lot? Because there were like kind of three trailheads that you could get to going down that trail. And he said, Georgia. And I'm like, <laughs> what, what parking lot is called Georgia? And I'm like, the state? And then I like realized it dawned on me that he was a through hiker. And I met two other hikers a little bit later, the same descent. And by the third one, I was like, wait a minute. Cause I was kicking my, I always said I should have done this right after college and I didn't. And, um, I thought to myself, if I sell the house and put the house on the market and sell it before the end of the year, maybe I could do this next year before, you know, moving to the Catskills, um, before I find, you know, full-time work and stuff. So I just randomly proposed it to my other half. Hey, if I sell the house before Christmas, can I through hike the AT? <laughs> and like, sure. I don't think he thought I was serious. And so <laughs> that process and then flash forward to April 6th and I headed into the woods, head north. And uh, my first boss who hired me at 14 when I was back working at McDonald's back in the day, she was retiring. And when she had heard that I was doing this, she was sort of like my second mom. I had worked with her for 22 years. She's like, can I go with you? And I'm like, what? You've never gone camping or hiking in the day in your life. <laughs> hike the AT with me and I'm like sure you really want to go I'm not going to say no um and so we you know between January and April we were going you know prepping and sleeping bags and shoes like researching everything and then her and I got dropped off together and we headed north and uh you know I owe a lot of my success of the AT to her starting with me she um hiked 10 days she made it over 26 mountains <laughs> oh, wow. and they were at blood mountain uh blood mountain uh, neil's gap so neil's gap has the infamous boot tree where i think they say 40 percent of people quit the trail by that point um, oh wow only i think 44 miles 42 miles um and people take their boots off and they throw it up into the tree and say screw this and so the it's big oak tree right by the road and it's all boots hanging from the tree, (laughs) but he made it, he made it 10 days and me being with her at the beginning and sort of like going at a slower pace and not doing big miles and kind of walking back and forth. And a few times I carried her pack up crazy, heavy stuff just to let her body acclimate. I think that helped me do the whole thing because I think too many people, when they go to do a through hike, they're like, oh, I can hike big miles. I can hike seven mountains in a day or devil's path in a day. And, but your body is not ready to do it every single day on repeat. And I think people go and they do too many miles at first and your ligaments and your tendons and your just everything is not loose and stretched out. And so they get injured. And so because her and I, I forced us to do low miles and not go very fast. She was seeing like military vets or military people going home, runners, you know, going yep. home. She was like, holy shit, all these people are going home and I still feel okay. Um, <laughs> and that's my, you know, when people start the trail, I say, force yourself to do low miles. And um, after day 10, she went home, which was a rough day because she had been with me for 10 days. It was my other half's birthday. And so I, it was just like a combination of stuff. And I went into the woods alone, even though. 
you're never truly alone on the trail because there's always some hiker ahead or behind you going in the same direction. It's kind of like a pilgrimage. But um, I said, all right. And the next day I got up and I said, all right, let's see what I can do in one day. Because I felt pretty good. It had been 10 days and I did a 14 mile day. And I was like, holy crap, I did 14 miles. <laughs> nice. But like you get up at seven, you know, you leave camp 730 and you hike until six, 630. And it, you know, that equates to if you're doing a mile, mile and a half pace, you can do nine miles with no effort. And so if you're doing, you know, the train's not too bad and you're moving at 1.5, two miles an hour, it adds up <laughs> and you're like, holy crap, I did 24 miles today. How did that happen? Yeah. Do they, does that happen like that, like that fast? Like all of a sudden you're, you're breaking down camp and then all of a sudden you're, you're at the end. You're like, Oh my God. Yeah. Sometimes I'll like, you know, a lot of, a lot of things happen on the AT that I never anticipated happening, like um, meditation practice. A lot of people love to meditate and there's, you know, gongs and that whole nine yards. I, I learned that while through hiking, I was doing walking meditation and other hikers, we would kind of in unison, and it was sort of like Canadian geese. There would be the lead person. If they got tired, they'd fall to the back. Next person mm -hmm. over. We'd all be kind of walking in unison, just quiet, listening to the wind or nature. And we'd stop for a break and somebody would, you know, take out their phone because we were at like a bridge crossing or so something that indicated in our guidebook, you know, at this many miles, you're at this we were at a road or something and she did the math and she's like, that was 19 miles. And we all looked at each other like, what time is like, it, it literally <laughs> felt like maybe 20 minutes, but we had walked 19 miles without stop. Like it just, it was just, just we all just were in unison. It was kind of cool. Um, it was all natural. Yeah. Sometimes it, it, you know, it would just add up, but I, my rule of thumb is about after 14 days, of doing, you know, a long distance hike. And we're talking months after 14 days, your body's ready. You can physically do the whole trail. Then the mental game kicks in. You have to still, yeah. you know, injure yourself, but physically your body has adjusted, loosened up and it's ready to do this on repeat. And so once you get to 14 days, it's like, all right, hike, how you feel, listen to your body, pay attention to it. But if you feel good and you're going to, you, you know, you can do a 20 mile day. Um, and then you could probably do another one the next day, but that, that pre that those 14 days, it's like, you know, the first day people were like, Oh, I did 16 miles today. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're going to, you're, you're going to go home. You're going to injure yourself. And yeah. that's a hard thing to force yourself to do to slow down at the beginning. Cause you know, you're thinking oh, I'm physically in great shape. I've done this at home, but you know, consecutive five or six days of doing that. If you do it, it's like, it's like pulling a rubber band too quick. It's like, you can snap it. You have to, you kind of have to let things gradually loosen up. Yeah, definitely. So I I've met, you know, some through hikers on the AT and so many people have different opinions about where the difficult section are. You know, I've heard the beginning of course is tough because you're first starting out. Pennsylvania is tough because mm -hmm. of the rocks. And then I've heard New Hampshire is tough because of the elevation differences. Yep. Your opinion? What's the toughest part? Hmm. Well, I'll, I will probably say for me, for my hike, Pennsylvania was the hardest part. It almost broke me. Um, wow. The, so for about 84 miles through Pennsylvania, that stretch from just south of Delaware Water Gap to 
Duncannon, maybe? Yep. Basically, for 84 miles, the Appalachian Trail never touches actual dirt. So you're either on big boulders or bedrock or what I call these fucking pyramid ankle breakers. The rocks were <laughs> only about three inches tall and they were in perfect pyramids. So you would it would be like a sea of that. And you'd look and you'd go, all right, do I roll and break my ankle and step in between the pyramids or do I step directly on each one and just bash, bash my foot? <laughs> and so your foot just relentlessly, you know, it's just when you step on a pointy rock, you feel it in no matter what boot you're in. Yeah. 84 miles of that. It's about four days. And I get up in the morning. I can't do this again. Um, I would lay in my tent at night and you could feel your feet pulsing, like the blood pumping in them because they're just so beaten up. I also, my boots were near the end of their life cycle. So when I got to Bear Mountain Bridge, I got brand new boots because they were shot. So I think if I had just gotten a new pair of something that were broken in right before I did that section, maybe it wouldn't be as bad, but I have gone back to Pennsylvania and hiked various sections of Pennsylvania. And then every time I go, maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe it was just, it was a bad day. It was a bad week. And I'm in and I like five minutes into the trail. I'm like, Oh yeah, it was that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That's, that's insane. 84 miles. It's about 84 miles and it's just relentless. You get a road crossing and there won't be rocks, but I think South. So I think Pennsylvania, I think your footwear makes a big difference depending on how worn out it is. I think um, if you're going Southbound, it's not as bad because you come into Pennsylvania and you immediately go into the rocks like bam, and they gradually get better. Whereas it, if you're going North, they gradually get worse over time. Um, and I think weather plays a huge part on the AT and what people say is the worst section because if, oh, yeah. if you're in the whites and you're above tree line and it's 42 degrees and it's raining and it's 50 to hundred mile an hour winds, that's horrible compared to being like 60 and bright sunshine, blue sky. And you're like, you know, just in awe of seeing, scenery in every direction and you know views up to 80 miles away so i think weather plays a huge part in what people said was good or bad section of the trail for them because some of my worst days were some of the people's favorite days in the same section of the trail <laughs> you know yeah it's so many different uh, opinions like i you know the i mean if you drive through pennsylvania you you see the the appalachian mountains mm -hmm extenuating just just a whole huge plateau yep but then then you hear a through hikers experience through pennsylvania and they're like god damn that was wretched horrible crap yeah i don't want to deal with that again <laughs> well i think i i think for me i kind of classify it into like pennsylvania was the hardest in regards to rocks you know the whites like the presidential traverse lafayette area is probably the most difficult or worst or hardest in regards to weather and exposure because when you're above tree line things can change quick the wind is unrelentless and you get hypothermia even in the middle of july and then yeah. southern maine or the bottom part like jeff my other half always jokes at me about when i call it southern maine because he's like that's not southern maine that's western maine i'm like but on the at it's southern maine like when you come into yeah. that's the southern part of the 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 trail 
for that state. But Southern Maine, after you leave the whites, you think, oh, it's over. Yay, it's easy from here on in to Katahdin. And Southern <laughs> Maine, like technical terrain-wise, is pretty hard. I think it's harder than whites. It's just you're out there. It's really rocky, steep descents, ascents. There's no rebar. It's, it's just a, it's a really, there's not a lot of assist. Like some of the whites, they'll have like certain things like ladder or something to make it easier. But Southern Maine was hard. And I don't know wow. if it's hard because mentally we weren't ready for it. We, nobody talks about it. Um, it's not like, you know, things everybody mentions. So I, I don't know if knowing it yeah. in advance would have helped mentally prepare us for it. But a lot of us said that was probably the hardest stretch of technical trail. You know, you're going up and down. You're like, where the heck do we go? And we kept joking. We're going to come around the corner and there's just going to be rope going off a cliff. And we have <laughs> corner and there was rope. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, it wasn't like, like scaling a cliff, but the visual of coming around the corner and you see this rope just going off an edge and you're like, where are we going? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like I said, I, I talked to through hikers for the Appalachian trail and nobody mentions Southern Maine. Yeah. That, that, that was tough. That was a tough stretch. It was very difficult and it wasn't, um, it was just difficult. The train was just hard. Like you get to certain sections and you're like, all right, how do we get down this without death? <laughs> yeah. It's all like wet and right. Yeah. It's all, it's always wet there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's once again, the Appalachian trail, it's got so many, you know, the funny thing is, is I have friends that have done the PCT. Okay. Um, I, uh, uh, what is it? The continental divide trail CDT. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I have friends that have done all three. And they say the Appalachian Trail is the absolute brutalist trail. Yeah. It'll destroy you. Yep. Yep. Compared to the other ones who they, they say they're like sidewalks through the mountains. Yeah. So the AT has more ups and downs, like the CDT, the Pacific Crest Trail, the Continental Divide Trail. You know, you get to a, a pass and you go down and then you climb back up the other side. But once you get up, you're up like nine, 10, 11,000 feet and you're not really, it's sort of like, it's like here in the Catskills, when you climb, say, Black Dome, it's like, well, you're already up here. And yes, there's down and up, but you're not going all the way down to the valley, you know? So it's like, go do Thomas Cole if you have the energy, because you're already up here. <laughs> You've done the yep, hard yep. Like, it's like I tell clients, mentally, they're like, I can't do two mountains, but we go to do Friday. And I'm like, all right, we're all the way up here. You've just busted your ass getting up this mountain. Balsam Cap is right there, and it's really not that hard. Like, you can do it. If you could do Friday from the road to here, we could go over there and get back. We have plenty of daylight. Um, the Appalachian <laughs> exactly. Trail literally goes up a mountain, and it goes all the way back down to the valley. And then you look across, and you're like, oh, that's where we're going next. And then you go all the way back up a mountain. And you go all the way back down to the valley. And what's an interesting fact that a lot of people don't know when the Apple, you know, Benton Mackay's vision of the AT um, and they were, were, you know, working on putting it together. A lot of the trail clubs that still volunteer and oversee the Appalachian Trail to keep it open. A lot of the states tried to compete with each other to make the trail more difficult or more rugged. So they would say, oh, there's a cliff. All right, we're going to go down there and then take them up there. And so every time you would crest, you'd look on the horizon and you'd go up, oh, that's where we're going. And that's wow. what makes it difficult is the ups and downs are so much 
more relenting. They say, all right, so if you do the Appalachian Trail in its entirety, you will have ascended and descended Mount Everest 32 times. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Which is crazy to even like fathom. Like, what? Well, also I've I've heard, you know, from, from people that the the AT is also the terrain goes from, you know, insane amounts where where you know like rocks uh climbing straight up cliffs blah yep. blah blah and then you have the cdt and pct where it's just like one little path yep. dirt path through the whole thing i'm just like wow the east coast has the most difficult terrain in in the whole united states it's yep. insane well okay there's i think there's two reasons for that number one the east coast the at the appalachian trail the Appalachian Mountains are the older mountains in the United States. Um, they eroded, you know, so the way they eroded created some really rugged stuff. But the PCT and the continent, you know, the Pacific Crest Trail and the Continental Divide Trail, when those trails were laid out or created and made, they were created for pack animals as well. So the grading and the switchbacks are so like a donkey or a horse can go, you know, up and down the mountains basically so from a footing standpoint it's amazing you know from a body you know it's the way it's laid out it's laid out to hike a mountain and use less energy and that's why on the east coast anytime you get it like what's you know considered a switchback um but <laughs> you know if you're climbing up to the notch between blackhead and black dome there's a series of switchbacks there not many but it does you know when you get there you're like you're still going up, but it's just a nice, your body like likes it. It's like, okay, you know, the death march is over. But what's funny with humans, with switchbacks, they're like, why am I going to go way over there? But the trip, like, just go straight. And then they cut yeah. across all of the switchbacks, you know, because a straight line is the shortest distance. But what people don't realize when that happens, you have now created a channel for water to run downhill because water wants to go downhill. It doesn't want to go sideways. And once the channels for, you know, water starts running through the switchbacks, all the trail there is going to get busted up and ruined. Yep. And that's why we have water bars. Well, don't cut across them because in essence, you're destroying the trail. You're going to destroy the trail, you know, five years from now. Switchbacks are are made to be, make it easier for you. Number one. And number two, for the, the eroding of the trail. Like that's what the water bars are there for. You hop over those water bars they are there to stop the eroding of the trail. So another great lesson from Mo. My God. <laughs> um, so speaking about the AT, with all that hiking you're doing and all the amount of sweat, a lot of people ask, how do you stay clean? Do you <laughs> stay clean? <laughs> um, yes and no. Um, <laughs> all right. So here's my 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 stick on that. One thing the Appalachian Trail will teach you is um, A, to be humble, but B, your quality of standard of like what's nice drastically, I guess, improves or <laughs> or goes down. Um, <laughs> so for me, the two things I always made sure happened was number one was cleanliness with my hands. Anytime I was going to eat food, I would make sure I'd either sanitize my hands or try to wash them. Washing was difficult, so hand sanitizer became crucial because there's this little known thing on in the through hiking world called norovirus. 
and it's basically spread human to human um, from not being clean, more or less, you know, using the restroom, not washing your hands, that type of stuff. And it's just a virus that can easily spread. And a lot of times the way it spreads is people will have it on their hands and then they'll go to eat and they'll share food or whatnot. And they don't think, all right, oh my God, a bag of M&Ms, everyone's hands in the M&Ms and they're throwing them in their mouth. And that, you know, that motion there, if your hands aren't clean, you're going to easily infect yourself with norovirus, which is a very unpleasant thing to have in the woods. Luckily, I never got it on all of my through hikes. And the other thing I would always make sure I had with me, but it was sort of a, a balance of weight versus, you know, cause weight is everything when you're through hiking was I yeah. had a package of um, wet wipes, um, the, the flushable kind. And the reason why I would make sure they were the flushable kind is that the other kind that are more plasticky are terrible for the environment. And the ones that are very, um, fibrous that, that will break down over time. So from a, you know, a waste perspective, but at the end of the night, I would take like a couple wet wipes and I try to wipe myself down like my legs. Cause they would all be dirt and stuff. And the process of wiping your body down, I would also uh, do a tick check, but from a, yeah. from a perspective of staying clean, you kind of just accept what we call hiker funk is real. And there's not much you can do about it. We'd always joke, oh, to smell like a day hiker. <laughs> I'd get into town and, the, you know, you do your laundry, which was very exciting. And you'd get your, your stuff comes out of the dryer and it smells like gain. And you're like, oh. <laughs> and then you put it back on and you hike into the woods. And about six minutes into the hike, you're like, well, that was over. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, you know, one thing about through hiking that you know, people always ask about the experience. It really makes you appreciate things that we take for granted, like a hot shower. Oh yeah. You know, having a hot shower after like five or six days, it's like, you, you almost want to cry. Cause it's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And we don't even think about some of these things that we take for granted, like drinking water. I never, ever thought about drinking water until I threw hiked because we just turned the faucet on in the kitchen or the bathroom. But when you're in the woods and you're like, okay, I have a half analogy of water left and the last two water sources were dry and there is no water there. What's the, <laughs> what's the plan? Where's the next water source? And there's a few times it got scary and you really appreciate drinking water, um, you know, and having it read, readily available to you in, in this, you know, the real world. Yeah. So staying clean was, that was a tough one. Um, and that's why anytime we came across like a swimming hole, <laughs> close off, everyone in. <laughs> yep. 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 And honestly, you know, it's funny. Honesty goes out the window really quick. <laughs> the funny thing is, if my wife uh, came up with that when we were that question, when we were hiking Shenandoah yep. and she asked several of the ladies about that, because she's just like, how do you guys stay clean? Like, especially the ladies, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing to, to overcome. Yeah. So she had some, um, um, you know, what's funny thing. Uh, we forgot. What was your uh, hiker name again? I remember it's storm, right? Storm. Yep. S T R M. That was my hiker name. Yeah. That so is we, still we, my hiker name. It's my alter ego. It's my outdoor self. <laughs> damn straight. Yeah. We met a bunch of hikers. Uh, one was named happy meal and her, uh, her interaction with Jessica made her like appreciate the through hikers 
like thousands of times more. And then she's just like, I want to do this so bad. I'm like, I'm like, I don't think you can. <laughs> you never know though. Never say never. Yeah. So um, what about like food? Um, you know, with the weight to what you can carry ratio. Oh yeah. Um, that's 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 gotta be tough to to plan out the food. So through hike, so so when it comes to food, there are usually two options you can do. I kind of did a combo. So the first option is to have food mailed to you, um, whether you're doing it yourself and pre-planning in advance or someone from home or friend or something is mailing stuff to you, or you resupply along the way. When I first started the hike, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try to resupply along the way because, you know, the concept of, you know, pre-packing stuff and i know people have dietary needs so they have to make sure they have certain things but a lot of people will spend you know lots of time planning food and having boxes all pre-packaged and like an assortment of stuff and everything ready to go and there's a rotation of four different types of boxes so send this one send this one and about three weeks in every box they get they're like i can't eat any of this like i can't like they look at it they just want to vomit and so that's the hazard of doing that type of like resupply is mailing stuff to yourself because you get sick of things really quick. And I think through hiking is probably the one and only time in your whole life. You'll go to a store and you'll immediately, the first thing you look at is the calorie content in the food item and how many servings it is and how much it weighs. So you're like, Hmm, all right, this is, 2000 calories if i eat the whole thing and it's not that heavy (laughs) Uh and you know a lot of the the planning comes into knowing you know the different road crossings so the at is a little bit easier in regards to food and planning because pretty much i would say almost once every two days you're crossing some sort of road there's some areas where the roads are like, you know, like a, you know, a state park road or something. So there's really not anything there or any access point. And even like Shenandoah is right. Yeah. So, but then Shenandoah has all the wayside. So basically you don't really have to carry that much. If you just, you know, go from wayside to wayside to have lunch and dinner. Um, so usually what I would try to do is if we get into a town and there is a store or a gas station, you're like, all right, This is what we're buying food out of. Before you go in to buy food, you would kind of assess what you already had and how many days you're buying food for. Like you can say, all right, it's 32 miles to this road crossing and the trail literally goes down Main Street and goes by a Dollar General. So I'm only going to carry enough food to get to that Dollar General because I'm going to be walking right by it. So why carry extra? (laughs) So I would would try to have always a little bit because there was nothing worse than realizing you have 11 miles to hike that day and all you have to eat is a package of oatmeal. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) That's like, Oh shit. I screwed that up. So, um, some of the other long distance trails, like the Pacific crest trail and the CDT, it's a lot more food carries because there's, there's, you know, gaps. You're going a couple days before you get to anything. Um, Yeah, definitely. And you know, it has this, challenges pluses and minuses to sending yourself stuff and you know resupplying along the way because sometimes the guidebook would say full resupply which meant like a grocery store and then you get into like 
the road crossing and you're in town and you're like, oh, the grocery store has closed, went out of business. Oh, oh. here's the mobile station. I guess I'm eating out of this for the next four days. <laughs> wow. And that's when you just buy, you know, pizza flavored combos. And that's, that's all you do. Just pizza, pizza <laughs> Snickers, stuff like that. Yep. <laughs> no shit. Uh, wow. Yeah. That... And to eat healthy is, it's hard. It's hard when you're not, not, you know, when you're in town, you can, you know, get your fruits and vegetables, but in the woods, it's hard to get fruits and vegetables unless you can like, um, rehydrate, you know, dehydrate, like make uh, dehydrated meals and then rehydrate them. Yep. But yeah, that's, that's what you told us to get is, uh, oranges. Yeah. Yep. People love oranges, soda. Yep. Um, what else did you say? Like any sort of snack like M&Ms, yep, Snickers, yep. stuff like that. And, and, you know, I seriously was just like, oh my God. So I think we bought at least three packs of 20, 12 packs of, of oranges and three packs of soda. And I'm just like, you know, this is, I think my wife are going to make it a, a yearly thing to go down on, on part of the Appalachian trail and, and, you know, be trail angels. Yeah. New York, New York is close to only out to the, our, our stretch here in New York state isn't that far from you. And it's, it's just really cool. You just get to meet people and stuff. And sort of what happens is when you start hiking every day like this, you have to eat between six and 8,000 calories a day to maintain your body weight. The average human needs about 2,600 to just maintain their body weight. Like, you know, us you know, not doing this many, but 68,000 calories a day. It's just hard to a carry that much food because it's heavy and B it's hard to consume that while you're hiking. It's just, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to be able to do. And so what ends up happening is maybe on the first day you've eaten 8,000 calories because you just left town. And then on the second day, you're able to manage six. So now on the third day, you're down two. And you're only able to eat maybe 5,000 calories. So now you're down three, third, so that's 5,000 you're down. So as you progress, what I would notice is you'd start feeling lethargic. And so hikers would say, you know, I would be like, I got to go into town. I got to eat. And so, you know, sometimes you'd leave a group and go into town while everyone else kept going because they were okay. But you start becoming calorie deficient. So that's why like anytime there's a road crossing, you know, soda as much as it's horrible for you you can you can down a lot of calories at once to kind of like supplement what you're missing just to give your body some energy and you'll burn through it quick yeah definitely so a lot of people don't understand that calories equals energy yep yep and you get those more calories you get more energy you'll keep pushing on so calories in calories out so uh, i know a lot of people you know when it comes to like weight loss and putting weight on that you don't want to, it's like, you have to look at your, all right, how many calories am I consuming versus how many calories am I burning? And what I realized, you know, before I really got into hiking a lot, I was drinking so many calories a day, like thousands of calories. Like you just, I used to do iced coffee or hot coffee with cream and sugar. Um, you know, Starbucks Frappuccino, like those things have like so many calories I was drinking. I, you don't even realize how many calories you can, because drinking calories is easy. And that's why when yep. I get to town, that would be the first thing I would do is try to slowly drink 3000 calories and put it immediately back into my body and then eat. Cause you wow. can, you can drink a, 
two liter bottle of Mountain Dew slowly, not chug it, but drink it slowly and, and have a full meal. And you've just put 8,000 calories back into your body. Oh, tried to eat. <laughs> if you tried to eat that many calories, you'd be sick. And oh, yeah. The key I would realize is I would tell hikers, you know, and I tell people that now get into town, try to drink as many calories as you can over the course of six hours. Get, you know, put all that back into your body and then slowly eat as well. Yeah. Wow. That's a great perspective of the, of the drinking calories versus eating calories. You're, you're absolutely correct. You yep. know, amazing. So I, another question goes along with eating pooping <laughs> along the Appalachian trail. <laughs> This is this is one of the questions my wife had for for Happy Meal on the trail. <laughs> yeah, the code brown can always be a challenge. Um, well, so most of the AT has a shelter within a day's walk from one another, and so most shelters would have some sort of privy latrine, which is always a little bit easier to use than digging a hole. And so oh, yeah. sometimes you would plan, all right, I'm going to hit up the shelter and use the privy. Um, and, but then there's times where you're not going to make it to the shelter or <laughs> we call that code brown. Like it's happening right now. It's happening right now. Um, so, you know, with waste in the woods, you want to dig what's called a cat hole, six to eight inches, um, depending on what, you know, you kind of have to look what surface you're on, um, you know, cause sometimes certain digging a hole in certain areas is harder than others, but you definitely want to be off trail, you know, a pretty good distance, at least 50 feet, if not further, uh, yeah. pay attention to which way you came in from. Cause, uh, there's a story I'm sure everyone's heard of this, but there was a woman who died in Maine on the Appalachian trail and she went off trail to use the bathroom and she couldn't get back to the trail. And she, it, she really wasn't that far away from it, but she just kind of got herself turned around. And if you don't you know, know your compass bearing or which direction you came from. So sometimes what I, I would tell hikers is if you're going to go off to use the restroom, you put your trekking poles and stab them in on the side of the trail, a, to let other hikers know that, you know, someone's off not to linger and be and kind of see them from a distance. Cause if you go off trail and you turn around and look back at where you came from, a lot of times you can't actually see the trail because it's low. Yeah ground and it just kind of like you look across and you just see woods so you know get off trail six to eight inch cat hole do your business um and then bury it if you want to be uber like hardcore leave no trace you carry it all out waste toilet paper pack it out can a lot of people do that no <laughs> i am not one of them carry be my honest <laughs> at least you're being honest yeah it's it, you know i it's a tough one. Like I'm getting, you know, I, I carry dog poop bags out so I can do other people's waste, but not my own yet, but you definitely just want to bury it. And, and so what happens is a lot of people don't realize, you know, orange peels can go into this orange peels are an organic uh, material, but it's, it's waste. It's, it's trash. And people have this knack of le leaving orange peels out of view and you get, get there and it's just someone's refuse all over the place. Um, but when it comes to human waste, toilet paper, orange peels, peanut shells, uh, pistachio shells, for that to break down, you need three things. You need water, you need air, and there's a third that a lot of people don't realize, you need microbes. And so when stuff sits right on the surface, it's getting plenty of air, it, it'll probably get water from rain, 
but then the sun will come out and then just bleach it. And microbes don't live in that environment. They need to be like, you know, in a moist, semi-dry, but semi-wet area. And that's down in the dirt and the duff. And so if you bury that stuff into the organic material, it'll break down a lot faster. But people have a knack for leaving toilet paper on the surface, waste on the surface, orange peels on the surface. And if you're not going to carry like orange peels out, bury them. They'll break down a lot quicker. And then they'll be yeah. at sight. You won't see them. So people won't know they're they're there. But you definitely want to bury your waste. And, um, you know, as a guide, it's amazing to be out with a client and they have <laughs> a bathroom emergency or just teaching someone to use the restroom in the woods. You would think that would be a common, but it's like a deer in headlights. What do I do? Um, yeah. it's, not, it's not common knowledge for a lot of people. Like for those of us that have hiked and have done, you know, the high peaks or, you know, hiked a lot, you kind of figure that out as you go. But if you look back maybe to the beginning, you may have had the same like stop for a minute. Like, how do I do this? <laughs> yep. You know, number one's a lot easier in the woods. A lot of people can figure that out. But number two, it's like people panic. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yep. So that's been that's been fun to demonstrate different ways to poop in the woods using trees as support. Yep. <laughs> My favorite is the pole dancer. <laughs> oh yeah, the pole dancer or the lean back, <laughs> like the leaner. That's yeah. what I would. Yeah. But uh, excellent. What a what a great way of leave no trace once again education so um what about um what what is your favorite part of the at what favorite section what did you have that really captured and sticked in your mind all right so i have my favorite section of the trail is is basically two spots that are almost neck and neck and i can't pick which is more favorite so franconia ridge is up there on my most favorite and i think that was my first connection to the at because i hiked lafayette peak back when i was 16 but just being above tree line in that stretch, it really makes you feel like you're on the West Coast. Um, when it comes to the Appalachian Trail, that's the only area I felt like I was on the West Coast. You know, it's a very skinny ridge, drops off on both sides, and the visibility is just fantastic when it's not cloudy. But my other favorite section of the AT, and I think that Lafayette is more sentimental, you know, my first connection. But um my other favorite section is the Grayson Highlands in southwestern Virginia. Um, it's, wow. it, it's not a mountainous area, but you're up there. You're up above, I think, 3,500 feet in elevation. And it's a lot of grassland. And there's a lot like a little rock mounds. Like, they look like little mountains. It's a big rock pile. And you climb up on top of them. And then there's like grass around it and very small shrubs, but not a lot of trees. And then they have wild ponies. Um, yes. I was going to ask you. So the Grayson Highlands State Park, where the wild ponies are, they're not truly wild. They they all get a, a checkup once a year. Like, the, you know, they kind of like have them tagged. And if their population gets too large, they will, um, I think the state park either gives them away or sells them. Or, like, so the they try to keep the population in check so it doesn't like, all, all of the plants get trampled to get death or eat. Yeah. Um, so it's, they're wild, but not truly wild. It's not like they're just left to run rampant, but um, wow. Yeah. They're basically, I, I, I don't know if the entire state park is completely fenced in. There are some sections near a road where they have a fence, but they just kind of wander 
And so there's a shelter near that area and you wake up and there's just all these wild ponies just standing in front of the shelter and they're like, <laughs> they're like leaning in and they're licking your feet. It's just really funny. <laughs> it's wow. Cool, it's just a pretty what an experience. Cool, yeah. It's a magical spot. It really is cool. And then like there's baby ponies that were just born wandering around and stuff. So. Wow. So, and it's, it's fairly easy to, you know, it's, it's accessible by a car. Like you can park, at a parking lot and hike maybe a mile and a half in and get in there and to have, so you don't have to hike like 30 miles to get in there. So, it, but it's definitely a really beautiful area that I tell people, if you're in Southwestern Virginia, try to, um, it's not that far off 81. There's a sign for it, Grayson Highland state park. It's a, it's a really cool spot. Wow. That's a, that's a first, that's the first I've ever heard of a, a favorite spot. It's always New Hampshire or it's always, you know, part of Vermont or even the beginning or the Shenandoahs, but not Grayson Highlands. Wow. Yeah. Grayson Highlands is, it's just, when I walked through there, I felt like I was on a different planet. It's just the look of it, the topography the plant life. It's just a weird, it's just a weird area that just looks so different than anywhere else I've ever been. And then you have wild ponies everywhere. Just another (laughs) adds to it. So, um, Let's let's get back to uh, your specialty place. Where's your favorite uh, spot in the Catskills? Favorite hike? What it doesn't matter. I would say my favorite hike spot would be Catterskill High Peak. Um, nice. So when I first came to the Catskills, my in-laws have a place in Platte Clove, basically at the end of Predator Road, the begin- the southern or eastern end of the Devil's Path by Indian Head, and so for twenty five years of visiting here um going to their house weekends or during the summer you know whatever it was um out, out of the front of their breakfast they had a small little breakfast nook where they'd have a table and stuff and it was a bay window it had a view directly of Catterskill high peak so i've been i had stared at that mountain for like 15 years and then finally um hiked it for the first time bushwhacked up hurricane ledge um Ooh, nice. And uh, it was cool to sit on that viewpoint and look back at the house. Like it was reverse. I'm staring at the thing I was staring up at for so long. So it's yeah. definitely, a, you know, every time I'm there with a client, you know, I look right at my in-laws place and you can see Indian head and everything. So, you know, it's my first connection to the cat skills and it was my first high peak I hiked here. So definitely. I mean, there's so many beautiful, like, you know, favorite in the winter favorite in the springs favorite in the summer like there's so many but i think if i had to pick one spot or one hike i would say catterskill high peak with you know, nice yeah you know it's a, that that first peak you climb has always got a place in your heart you know uh-huh. i my first peak i climbed was it was balsam and i that that's an unforgettable hike an unforgettable viewpoint the funny thing is is i recorded it on my gopro and what I said was just like, I was like, holy shit. It was my first like view yeah. that I've ever had. And I'm just like, it, 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 it keeps, it stays in your heart and it keeps there, yeah. especially with the cat skills. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So last, last question of the night. Yep. Do you have any, I, I know you've had so many opportunities to, to have any scary stories that you've ever had. Like, like, oh my God. We're not going to make it or, oh my God, this person's injured. We're not going to make it out or something like that. Um, well, let's see. Um, for scary as in supernatural scary. 
<laughs> Kelly Hollow is an area of the Catskills. Every time I go there, I'm not like afraid, but it's just a very bad juju feeling. Like, I don't know, bad stuff happened there. I don't know. It's beautiful, but it always has a very creepy, ominous feel to it. Every time I've hiked there, it's just something about Kelly Hollow. I don't know what it is. I don't know. You know, there was a logging um, opera mill there back in um, Professor Michael Kudish knows about it, but I don't, I don't know. Kelly, there's the Kelly, Kelly family farm that I know where the, the cellar is, but just that whole area, just very dark, dark feeling. I don't know if there was bad accidents there with the logging operations, but that's all, out of all the places I've been in the Catskills, that one's kind of like, hmm, just feels strange every time. It's not just the one time, but every time I've ever gone there. Wow. When it comes to scary in regards to, I was out with a client once and we came across an injured hiker. Um, it was a husband and wife, uh, like couple that we had met on Pekamoose and we were going on to table and they were just going to Pekamoose and going back down. And she had slipped and rolled her ankle. Like after they got out of the snow, it was late April. And um, so we came up behind them and she was, she was, she couldn't put any pressure on it. And she was kind of like scooching along in the, on the ground and she was sitting in wet, like her whole behind was damp. And um, they were trying to get down like a, one of the little uh, rock bands on Pika Moose when you're going down to the parking lot. And when I came, you know, approached them and said, Hey, what's going on? There were two guys down below that stopped to help and they were both in shorts and cotton cotton hoodie no hat no gloves trail runners it was starting to snow oh <laughs> the husband was starting to freak out because it was you know it was like we got to get her out and they kind of had devised a plan to like get her out and um i kind of came in you know some of our search and rescue training because at that point i had gone through search and rescue for a year more more in-house than in the field stuff but you do learn enough and yeah. so like you know i was trying to like all right like offer some like let's do this and they were the husband was very adamant about no we're you know and i'm like all right i could argue with this man and we could fight and not progress or i can kind of like all right let's just do the plan they have it's not the best but it might work um so we kind of all helped get this you know his wife out of the woods and I had a client, but I was like, Laura, I can't leave this person here. You know, yeah. no self-service. I was like, I could go back uphill, but then that would take time. So we all just kind of as a group kept moving. And so by everybody working towards getting her out, we were getting further closer to the parking lot and keeping everybody warm. But it was like, it's like a nightmare scenario. Two guys in shorts and sneakers and cotton and it's snowing. <laughs> a husband who's freaking out, who's exhausted. And the woman was embarrassed and she didn't want anyone else to carry her, but her husband, but he was exhausted. And I finally said to her, look, we're going to have to carry him out too. If he keeps doing this, it's like, don't be embarrassed. These things happen. We're here to help. But, um, you know, and she looked over at him and he, she could tell he was exhausted. So it was one of those things adrenaline kicks in, but I thought to myself, holy crap, what would they have done? Like, you know, right? like if it was just him and his wife, I don't know. Like, so she ended up having a, a fracture in her foot. So she definitely did hurt it, but that was kind of a scary uh, situation um, because, you know, the more I'm out 
in the, in the woods, in the field, it's like, I see so many unprepared people. And it's like, for me, they don't, most of these hikers have no idea the danger they're putting themselves in, or they've already put themselves in. It's like, how do I plant the seed of maybe you should turn around without coming across as a dick because the way you approach those situations is key because people will go right on the defensive. Um, And so I, you know, I always am looking at what do people have on their feet? Anytime I'm on the mountain, I'm coming down. I know how many people are still up on the mountain um, just in case, you know, God forbid there's a search and rescue and they're looking for somebody. I can say, I know everybody that was on that mountain. I'm like, I didn't, you know, I didn't see that person or it was roughly 420 and they were still going up, you know, five o'clock or whatever. And so, yeah, that woman that had rolled her ankle, that was kind of a, a scary day because it was April 28th and the forecast was 50 degrees at the parking lot. And the top of the table and Picamus were like full on, it looks like blizzard conditions. We have snow squalls. And so a snow squall would move in, high winds, white out, and then it would pass and the sun would kind of come out and then it would do it again. And it was like night and day. There's no snow at the parking lot. People coming up wow. like, it's no joke up there right now. You better be ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, was that the one you had to like piggyback her almost yeah. all the way down? So that was. That is what they, the plan they had come up with is they would piggy one person would piggyback her and they took the micro spikes, which was, this was actually ingenious. She would hold on to the a set of micro spikes uh, like by the shoulder. So the micro spikes was like below your neck. So she wouldn't mm-hmm. slip. And then when we lifted up her legs, we would take the other pair of micro spikes and hook them between our fingers on both hands. So her legs wouldn't slide down. And it, actually it was, it worked. It was ingenious. But when you're piggybacking somebody walking on, you know, a trail, if you trip, your inertia, like that weight, you're going to fall. Oh, yeah. Both fall. That's going to be a hard fall. So it wasn't the best option, but I was like, you know, fighting her husband to like, it's like, all right, we have to make a decision here because we need to move. These guys that were in cotton were shivering (laughs) because they weren't moving. Yeah, yeah. So it worked. We, We got her out and it was a team effort. My client carried the extra pack. She kept going up and down just to keep warm. <laughs> wow. But yeah, an experience, was, you know, that was one of those scary moments. Um, and, you know, people, when they see me in the woods, they're like, what in God's name are you carrying in that pack? It's huge. And I'm like, you know, I just have trained myself like for search and rescue, you know, that pack, your basic pack weighed a lot. And, if, oh, yeah. you know, so I'm just, I trained myself to be able to carry the weight and have basics to spend the night. Um, yep. And 24 hour pack. And the way I look at it now with how much I'm hiking here and how many times I'm in the woods, my chance, my percent chance of coming across an injured hiker is way up there. Oh yeah. And, um, ethically being a New York state licensed guide, it's like, I can't like ethically, I shouldn't be walking by somebody that needs help. Yeah. Um, like obviously the way I look at it, if I have a client I'm with and someone needs help, it's like, all right, I can't have my client be get injured or you know so it's this weird like ah but i have stuff to make you know you know have a plan to keep everybody safe um but yeah yeah there's there's times where i think i have helped prevent somebody from needing (laughs) a search and rescue or getting injured or you know like on my way out of the mountains especially right now pan i was on panther and people were coming up to giant ledge at four o'clock in the afternoon and they weren't even halfway there yet and I'm like, 
y'all got headlamps? And they looked at me and I said, sunsets at 427, 427. It is dark. You can't see anything. I'm not trying to be a jerk. Just beware. Stay safe. Sure enough, they all turned around and headed back to the car. (laughs) And that's that's the purpose of you and I and guides and stuff like that. Education. And we're the eyes and ears in the woods trying to help the public and hopefully teach them something that they know next time to bring a headlamp. Yeah. And Uh, to relieve that weight off of the Rangers, (laughs) they're going to have to go back and get those people. You know, because like, you know, when it comes to like unprepared hikers, I know people are like, oh, my God, this person, they're such idiots. They're dumb. uh." And I look at this is my analogy to that whole thing. You know, for someone that goes up Indian head and they don't even have any water with them. And it's like, how do you go into the woods without water? And I go, all right, we don't know this person. Where are they coming from? Where do they live? If they're in an urban area, water is like, they could put their arm out and hit a vending machine or a bodega or a market and buy water. And so they've been trained not to worry about water and they come here and they just they're not thinking about it. as much as you think that should make sense. And that should be common sense. It's just, they're not, it's not part of their world. And when I go to New York city, I have no idea how to use the goddamn subway. And I'm that asshole that everyone's like, get out of the way. What are you doing? <laughs> moron? Cause I'm like staring at the map and trying to figure out, do I swipe the card on the left side of the turnstile or the right turnstile? Right. I, you know, even though there's the big arrow that says, here <laughs> so it's just they're out of their element and so that common that that education is key it is and that's why i have you here the catskill ridge runner that was out there this year on the devil's path through the catskill center jenny she gave out god i think she said 45 bottles of water she like would load her pack up with bottles of water and she just kept bumping into people with nothing like in bad shape and she would, you know, talk to them, what's going on? And they'd be like, oh, my God, we we don't have any water. We're stupid. We didn't even think to bring water. And so she would talk to them and kind of drop that education piece and then go, hey, I have a bottle. Would you like it? Um, and she just kept handing out water because just so many people were just not prepared. And so that's for, for a guide. I'm like, how do I, how can I use social media Facebook, Instagram, to kind of plant that seed in people's eyes before they even leave their house, yeah. you know, because I think those out, us as outdoor enthusiasts can really, I think, educate in a non-preachy way. And, you know, I look back, I was that hiker in blue jeans going up Indian Head in January back, way back when, like, I remember being that unprepared hiker. Yep. We all at one point and it's like again it's uh, you know when people get to our level of experience and you know trial and error and learn from our mistakes you know embrace those newer hikers because just you know ridiculing them and calling them dumb it's like that's not helping the community that's just turning people away from our community we need more people out here that care about the cat skills and care about outdoor spaces because they'll ultimately be the volunteers and people helping to defend them and so I think as an outdoor community, I think we have the power to really teach simply just by messaging and what we, you know, all these photos we put up, you know, put some, put our plan and prepare what we did to plan and prepare to be out there. And people may read it and go, oh, what is, what is microspikes? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I think 
it's just like if we all every single person picked up garbage you know out on a trail there won't be any garbage exactly. and i think people are people have been doing that i haven't seen any garbage in the catskills the pandemic was horrific there were masks everywhere but now it's like i think we're all either just picking it up or calling other people out when it happens or bringing it hey you dropped this and um you know i think we have the power to really teach to prevent some of this stuff we go oh my god how does this person not have water um yeah and you know you can't save everybody and you can't teach everybody because people will say i'll be fine you know there's always that percentage but i think most people want to do right and do good and they just don't know yeah um yeah exactly see once again this is why he's the guide <laughs> <laughs> so mo i think that's that's the end of our session buddy so once again thank you mo for for joining me tonight um great educational talk about the appalachian trail about the catskills about leave no trace about guiding wow um so much topics hit tonight and uh you know what do we what do we look up to look you up hike on guides on any platform yep hike Um, on guides instagram facebook twitter um i'm pretty much right now instagram and facebook there's so many different and so this is what gets hard about our world you know i'm a one-man show my other half does support you know some of the behind the scenes stuff but when it comes to like social media that's a full-time job yeah (laughs) so the two i focus on are instagram and facebook i know there's tiktok and then there's Mm. twitter there's so many different platforms now and it's almost generational, like, you know, people in their 20s have primarily used this one. People in their teens primarily use this one. But Insta and Facebook are the two. I do have a website yes. for those people still. And I have an email address, hikeonguides at gmail.com. So anybody, you want to learn a lot of uh, inspirational stuff for, about the Catskills, about through hiking, about anything hiking related, get a hold of Hike on Guides. And seriously, um, you know, I'm a resource. I live here in Tannersville. For those people that, you know, do occasionally see me on some of the social media platforms, I usually try to report when parking lots get plowed because we'll get like a three-foot snowstorm and everybody wants to run here and snowshoe, which I totally get. But it takes a little while to get all the parking lots open. And then you drive two and a half hours and you arrive and the parking lot's not plowed. What are you going to do? Park on the side of the road. That's what people do. And then they block traffic and then it's dangerous. So I'm definitely a resource, so I may not be able to instantly answer you back, but if you have a question about, hey, what's the conditions up there? I try to put that information out. Yeah, he is a great resource of information for the Catskills. So Mo, thank you once again for joining me yeah, tonight. I had, a, Anytime. I had a great time. Um, thank our sponsor, um, Scenic Route Guiding. Thank everyone who has uh, donated monthly donators and thank everybody who has bought us coffee. Soon, very soon, it will go towards uh, donations in the Catskills. I'm excited about that. I can't wait. That's awesome. Um, That's super cool. Yeah. So, Mo, uh, thank you very much for joining me. Once again, I'm going to keep saying this. Uh, thank you for our <laughs> listeners. I, I actually had a statistic. You know, it, it's really cool to look at this. Um, so, I've had over 13 episodes. I've had 2,178 listens, which is means 167 people listen per episode. That's awesome. That is amazing. I've never thought that would ever happen in my, in my lifetime. I was thinking a couple hundred within 13 episodes. So, um, so hopefully, 
hopefully we're getting the the point out there of uh, education, which is big. I have, yeah. I have some big episodes coming up. Um, That's awesome. I'm excited. Uh, so once again, Mo, thank you for joining me. Yeah, my friend. Have a good night, Mo. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Yeah, definitely.